When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? Ethan, what's going on, bud? How are you? I'm doing good, Chris. We talked about your enjoyment of traveling to places like Miami and Orlando in a previous podcast, actually on multiple different podcasts. But you'll get to go to Orlando as part of this four-game road trip the Cavs are about to embark on. But tell me about how you feel about Atlanta, the A. That's the next game up. I feel like you're setting me up here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I've got some cities that are my favorite ones to visit and the other ones that are just, you know, closer to the bottom of that list. And I just haven't found the thing to do in Atlanta. And that's the thing for me, like every trip that I make, every city that I go to, I try and make something the centerpiece of that visit. For example, when we go to Los Angeles, I'll go to Venice Beach I'll go to the campus of UCLA. When we go to Toronto, I have my favorite restaurant. They've got the CN Tower. They've got other things, just little things that I can do to like center the trip around it so that I have something to look forward to. I just haven't found that thing yet in Atlanta. If you have suggestions for me, Ethan, I'm all ears. I'm not going to lie to you, Chris. It's a whole lot of trouble out there. It's a whole (laughs) lot of trouble. I've lived in Atlanta for a baseball season so almost an entire year and all i know is it's a whole lot of trouble there's the clubbing scene there's the restaurant scene i mean obviously there's like good music and stuff out there too so like if there's an event going on there's that but i just know there's a lot of trouble to be getting into in atlanta and i don't want to steer you the wrong way Well, I appreciate that. I will say that I will most likely stop by Magic City to get me some wings because those wings at Magic City are so good. I have to disagree on that statement. I have to disagree. I'm sorry. Are you kidding me? I'm being so serious right now and it's not even funny. I've had this argument with multiple different people on multiple different occasions. It might have been the one time I went there, but... The wings at Magic City, I got lemon pepper, as you do, with lemon pepper Lou. And the wings were not bigger than my pinky and extremely oversalted. And I'm a salt flavor guy. Like, I am am a guy that likes salt rather than sweet. And for me to say that it's overly salty is astounding. So tell me why you think the wings at Magic City were so good. Because, like I said, I've lived in Louisiana and I've lived in LA and all these other places. And the wings are usually bigger than what I got at Magic City, which was probably the most disappointing part for me. 
I'm all about quality over quantity. I'll get an eight ounce filet over a 12 ounce New York strip. So even though that the wings are small, and I would agree that they are small, they are delicious. And they have so many unique flavors that you can't get at some of these other places, especially in Ohio or near me where I live in Bay Village. So I thought the quality of the wing was really, really good. And it didn't bother me that they were on the smaller side. That may be true. I may have gotten deterred from the oversalt factor, and I definitely didn't get them again after that trip. I definitely did not think they were oversalted when I had them. It, it might have just been my batch. You know, in the locker room, after every Cavs-Hawks game in Atlanta, there are Magic City wings for the players. Ooh. They do the catering for the Cavs. Catering from a strip club. That is something that only Atlanta could do. Those wings, I'm telling you. They're world famous. They are world famous. And Lou Williams is a big part of that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, like I said, a lot of trouble to be getting into. And Lou Williams is a prime example of that. I can't lie. I'll have to try it again the next time I'm in the A because I definitely was deterred from my first experience. But we were talking about cities. Do you know which cities you'd consider to be the toughest to play in and maybe your least favorites to travel to which you alluded to earlier in basketball terms it's got to be boston right now they are 20 and 0 at home then you think about madison square garden and milwaukee any other places come to mind yeah denver denver is a great home court advantage for the nuggets number one it is loud as can be number two the altitude It's bothersome to teams that aren't used to it. It's not a secret that the Denver Nuggets are one of the best home teams in the NBA since they've had the Nikola Jokic era going on there. But a big part of that is just the environment. It's a really difficult place to play. They're 7-18-4 this year at home. You saw what it was like for them during a playoff run. It obviously doesn't get to that level in the regular season, but they went 34-7 at home last year. So Boston, Milwaukee... I think Philadelphia can be an interesting home court advantage because those people are mean. Some of the things that they say, whoo, boy. And they love their Sixers. So that's a big part of it. And then Utah can be. Utah can be a big home court advantage for the Jazz when they have players that are good enough to make it a home court advantage. They're 15 and 5 at home this year, they're 22 and 20 overall. So they're just completely different on the road. But like any of those altitude related places are always going to be really difficult for an opposing team to go into and try and get a win. And I think Oklahoma City, it feels more like a college environment because it feels like the seats are like right on top of the court. And that place, when that team is playing well, and they've got a lot of young players to build around, and they've got... Shea Gilgis-Alexander, an MVP candidate who is beloved in that area. That place can get really raucous. Yeah, that's what I thought you meant when you said it is like a college campus because most of those guys are under 26 years old. (laughs) But I guess the seating arrangement can make that feel that way as well. (laughs) The other one is Toronto. Scotiabank Arena is one of the rowdiest crowds. It can get really, really fun, especially in the playoffs. Those years that the Cavs had to go up to Toronto during the finals runs that the Cavs had, and they just never took Toronto seriously because they're like, (laughs) that's cute. You won 59 games in the regular season. We're going to sweep you in the postseason because we just own you. But that environment, it can get really, really rowdy. 
And I had a lot of fun times watching playoff games at Scotiabank Arena. And you mentioned the Utah Jazz and how their arena can get rocking if they're playing well. And I mean, they have the best record in the NBA over the last 14 games. And we think about how good the Cavs have been over the last 14 games, 11 and 3, and tied with the Boston Celtics for the second best record in that span. This has been an insane season to just watch these teams battle it out. And we know that the NBA and basketball is a game of runs and teams can go on it. But speaking of the game and how runs can be made and how things can go downhill quickly for different teams, the Cavs' latest game was an absolute thrashing of the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Cavs did what we've said they needed to do. Take advantage of opportunities. The Cavs got to face a Giannis-less Bucks and suffocated their two other main scorers with the help of Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade holding Damian Lillard and Chris Middleton to 19 combined points. Chris, let me give you a couple of stats on the two. Okoro has spent more time guarding Damian Lillard than any other player besides Jalen Brunson and Kobe White this year. In those two matchups against Lillard, Okoro has held him to 4 of 15. That's under 30% shooting from the field and 1 of 6 from three-point range. And on Wednesday, Dean Wade held Chris Middleton to just two points on 1 of 10 shooting. Of players who've played in at least 30 games this season, Dean Wade ranks fourth in defensive rating behind Seth Curry, Rudy Gobert, and Patrick Beverly. What do you think of the defense from these two and them accepting their role wholeheartedly and how it's impacted the Cavs on both ends of the floor? They're integral to what the Cavs do on the defensive end of the floor, and I think their importance, Ethan, has picked up even more in the absence of Evan Mobley because the Cavs just don't have the luxury of two elite rim-protecting bigs that can erase mistakes out on the perimeter. Jared Allen is the last line of defense. He doesn't have Evan Mobley helping him from the weak side. So I think there was like a lot of comfort that the Cavs had as a team with both Jared and Evan back there, two defensive player of the year candidates anchoring the defense. And I think they felt like we don't have to be so great at the point of attack. We don't have to always stay in front of our man. We don't have to have the sharpest closeouts and stuff like that. Because there was just a belief that Jared and Evan were going to protect them and they were going to erase mistakes. And in the past, that's what's been the case. But when you take Evan out of the equation and now it's only Jared back there, that's like a lot of pressure to put on Jared if you're not strong at the point of attack, if you have sloppy closeouts, if you have communication breakdowns, if you don't get physical and fight through screens and things along those lines. So to me, Isaac and Dean picking it up on the perimeter and limiting those elite players that the Cavs are playing against has allowed this defense to stay afloat despite the fact that they haven't had Evan Mobley. In fact, not even stay afloat. Like they've risen up the standings on the defensive end of the floor. And yeah, Jared Allen being the anchor is a big part of that. Him finishing possessions and not giving up second chance opportunities is a big part of that as well. But Isaac Okoro pestering the best perimeter ball handler, Dean Wade, with his versatility, being able to guard point guards and forwards. That's been a big, big part of the Cavs' defensive resurgence recently. 
And the other part of it, Ethan, is, look, it's not an undersized backcourt now that the Cavs have to cover up for. There are limitations physically that Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are going to have defensively when they play together. There's more size. There's more strength. There's more physicality when the starting backcourt is Donovan Mitchell and Max Struess. Or Donovan Mitchell and Isaac Okora. And I think... Their latest games have been just that. It's been a display of well-rounded performances from all the players doing their jobs to an elite level. What did you see from the Cavs and how they've bonded together over these last 14 games, especially without Darius Garland and Evan Mobley? It's always a fascinating phenomenon to me that injuries, whether it's in the NBA, Major League Baseball, or in the NFL, any team sport really, Injuries can tend to galvanize teams if you approach it the right way and if you have enough other talent to make up for those losses. And the Cavs certainly do. They've got enough talent. They've got enough depth. But they've kind of like used everybody doubting them as an organizational rallying cry during this stretch. And they've bonded together and they've gotten tighter because it's like the mentality of a competitive team is number one, I've got to do more so I don't let the other guy down. And it's like you have to appreciate the people that are there because you understand what's missing and you have to count on guys that maybe you wouldn't have to count on at the beginning of the season. And and sometimes it creates opportunities for Sam Merrill, Craig Porter Jr., Dean Wade's getting a bigger opportunity. Isaac Okoro's getting a bigger opportunity. And they understand that when Darius Garland comes back and Evan Mobley comes back and the team is closer to full strength, the same opportunities that they're getting right now are not going to be as readily available. So they've got to capitalize on these opportunities. They've got to show that they can do more. They've got to earn the trust of the coaching staff so that when the team gets closer to full strength, it's a more difficult decision. And I think all these different guys understand because this team is so talented and so deep that it is hard for them to get minutes when the team is close to full strength. So they are doing everything that they can do to be ready and to show that they're willing to do whatever it takes for the betterment of the team to stay in the rotation. And I think that level of motivation, when you're talking about talented guys, I think that can take you a long way. And it's increased the confidence of Sam Merrill. It's increased the confidence of Dean Wade. And that's one of the things to me, Ethan, that's been so impressive about this recent stretch where the Cavs are 11-3 and in their last 14. Yeah, like a big part of it is Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen are both playing like all-stars. It starts there, but it's other guys stepping up on a nightly basis. Dean Wade making shots in the fourth quarter. Sam Merrill with a career high. George Niang, career high last night. So it hasn't only been the Donovan Mitchell show or the Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen show. It's been a true team effort, and they're getting contributions up and down this lineup that it's going to make it difficult for J.B. Bickerstaff when he has to make some of these lineup and rotational decisions when the team gets closer to full strength. Right, and you mentioned it, Chris, especially with how these guys are playing and trying to do everything they can to earn minutes for when the other 40% of the starters come back. It's like, I know I'm going to be riding the bench. Let me get mine now. Let me show you some or what I can bring to the table now instead of waiting, not being prepared and not waiting for an opportunity. But We're going to take a quick break. We're going to discuss the moves that J.B. Bickerstaff has made with the 40% of his starting lineup on the injured list and how his decisions and rotations have impacted the Cavs over their six-game winning streak. But before then, 
Become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Let us know if you think J.B. Bickerstaff should retain his job after the season with how he's held the Cavs together thus far, or if it's too early in the season to tell. Sign up for a 14-day free trial, or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. The Cavs came into Thursday night tied for the second best record over the last 14 games at 11-3, and tied with the Boston Celtics and behind the Utah Jazz, as we mentioned earlier in the show. J.B. Bickerstaff earlier this season had to take longer to come talk to the media because of the poor showings that the Cavs had put out against some lesser-tiered teams. He's turned this Cavs team around with a starting lineup that many questioned when it was first announced after the injury report of Darius Garland and Evan Mobley being out for at least a month. Donovan Mitchell has stepped up as a point guard. Max Struess helped spread the floor and has contributed in many facets even when his shot isn't falling. Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade's defense has allowed Donovan and Jared Allen to play free safety on defense, leading to the fourth best defensive rating in the NBA and third best in the last 14 games. Jared has also been freed up to be a facilitator and attacker on the offensive end because he's exerting as much or less energy on the defensive end. How much credit do you think J.B. Bickerstaff deserves for the team's success as of late, Chris? So I'm going to answer that question, but I think we have to start here. Everybody understands that when it comes to the judgment of this team, it's about the playoffs. Given everything that happened last year in that seven-game series against the Knicks, where the Cavs were outplayed, outphysicaled, outcoached, outtoughed, all of the above, everybody is wondering, okay, what's this going to look like from this group When they get back into the playoffs, are they going to be more ready? Are they going to handle the pressure a little bit differently? Are they going to learn from their mistakes from that series against the Knicks? Everybody understands that, Ethan. And everybody has talked about the same thing. But that doesn't mean that you can't give credit for things that happen during the regular season. And J.B. Bickerstaff deserves a ton of credit for keeping this group together, for allowing them to still believe in what they had left in that locker room being enough, and for adapting. Like, one of the questions about J.B., which was silly to me, was his inability to adjust. And it's like... Sometimes as a coach, like you just don't have good options, right? There are no adjustments that you can make to make up for clear deficiencies in certain areas when it comes to roster construction. And I feel like that was a big thing that was lost in last year's playoff series against the Knicks. Yes, he got outcoached. Yes, he did things wrong. But he also didn't really have great options to go to when it came to making the Cavs bench more on par with what the Knicks had to offer. He didn't have a lot of great options to go to when it came to, hey, how are we going to try and make up for this rebounding disadvantage that we're at? 
he didn't have great options to go to when it came to trying to slow down Jalen Brunson. Like he tried different things. He tried different lineups. He gave guys opportunities and then took them away. So it's like he looked like a coach that was scrambling because he didn't feel like he had the right chess pieces in that chess match against Tom Thibodeau. And I think there was a little bit of truth to that. But he has shown this year, coming back off of that, that when he does have the right pieces, when he does have playable bodies on his bench, that he can adjust. He can change his systems offensively and defensively. He can find a way, based on the personnel that he has, to make the offense more dynamic. That is something, to me, that has stood out here during this stretch, and that is something, to me, that has been so, so impressive that he loses two important guys in Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. He reconstructs the offense and he changes some of the principles on the defensive end of the floor. And the Cavs surge up the standings into fourth place in the Eastern Conference. That shows a coach who understands the strengths and the weaknesses of the roster. And that shows a coach who is willing to make the necessary adjustments, no matter how difficult they may be. I agree, Chris. I, I think J.B. Bickerstaff has done an excellent job just adapting to what's been thrown at him because I mean when Darius Garland and Evan Mobley were announced as injured for at least a month on the same day it looked like the world was coming down for the Cavs like NBA teams were commenting on it fans were commenting on it talking about tanking Yo, like NBA teams were calling the Cavs and saying hey what's it going to take for Donovan Mitchell You're going to be missing Evan Mobley for a long stretch. You're going to be missing Darius Garland for a long stretch. You're ready to be sellers? Like people around the NBA were lurking, hoping that the Cavs would make some of their more important players available because they smelled blood in the water. Yeah, and it's insane to think about how closely other NBA teams are watching when it comes to that kind of stuff, especially when it comes to a player like Donovan Mitchell. And there were already rumors that Donovan Mitchell didn't want to be here. And then upper management of the Cavs shut that down, saying that there was no thought of trading Donovan Mitchell after all the rumors have been spiraling that he was going to be on the trading block, even when he has another year on his contract, even when the Cavs have been having success with him at the point guard spot, all of these things in the rumors were still spiraling. But with that being said, I want to move to a different player as of his experience and performance last night. We talked about the offense have changed to a three-point centric arsenal. We've talked about that on multiple podcasts. And yesterday, George Niang. I mean, I remember saying to Chris about three shots into the game, I said, this could be George Niang's legacy game. And I wish I would have tweeted it out or something because this was an absolute... Oh, it was a masterclass. Oh my goodness. And it was shown on the Jumbotron of... George Niang having 2,000 points in high school, 2,000 points in college. And I feel like that kind of initiated him like, oh, let me remember who I am real quick. Drink from this fountain of youth and just go off for 33 points. (laughs) George Niang made history as no player in NBA history has scored more points on better field goal percentage off the bench in a single game than George did on Wednesday. Can you speak on the performance that we witnessed from George and the energy that is revolving around this team right now? Well, yeah, I mean, like, obviously the Cavs brought him in for a reason, Ethan, and they believe in 
his ability to space the floor and knock down playoff threes and make other guys around him better because the defense has to always pay attention to where he is and what he's doing. His shooting numbers, his efficiency, it's been spotty throughout the course of this season, but his impact is felt. And look, like he has deficiencies on the defensive end of the floor. There are times where opponents target him and pick on him and his inability to move his feet on the perimeter will prevent them from switching things as frequently as they do when Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are in the game and stuff like that. But like, this is the kind of guy that helps your offense. This is the kind of guy that raises your offense's ceiling. And a big reason why the Cavs are able to take as many threes as they have during this stretch and make as many threes as they have during this stretch is because they have so many capable outside shooters. Even if the percentages aren't there for Niang, even if they're not there for Max Struess, those guys are capable. They're high-volume shooters, and high-volume shooters command a different level of attention from an opposing defense. And it just allows the offense to function a different kind of way. So I've always been somebody, Ethan who has looked more at impact than production. And I think the impact that Niang has brought here, both on the court and off the court, is something that is hard to measure just by looking at the box score. Because I just think there are so many little things that he does for this team that are really, really beneficial. And a big reason even why they can play so many four-shooter lineups is because they think Niang is worthy of those minutes. And they believe that if you're going to take Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and split those two guys up throughout the course of a game when this team finally gets to full strength, you have to believe that you have some other thing to go to within a lineup that is going to differentiate you and is going to offset what you're missing out on on the defensive end. And if Niang can continue to provide such an offensive jolt, then it's easier for JB to say, well, we're going to split up Evan and Jared a little bit more and keep using these four shooter lineups. Right. And we talk about players that have played their role to a T this year. We've mentioned Isaac Okoro. We've mentioned Dean Wade. Max Struess falls into that category as well. We know how important he is for that team and how he does little niche things on the offensive and defensive end to keep the team rolling. And It just feels like this team has found its rhythm. Like, you think about the roles that are being played by rotational players accurately and effectively and efficiently, and then you think about Donovan Mitchell having 31 points and barely being talked about yesterday because that's expected from him. But it feels like the Cavs are in a really good spot right now, and they play the Atlanta Hawks on Saturday, and then they go and play the Orlando Magic, and then the Bucks twice before returning home to Cleveland. So a four-game road stretch. I gave my prediction yesterday, Chris, but I wanted to get your prediction on this four-game road trip. Okay, but before you get into that really quick, I want to say something else about Niang because I think sometimes this gets lost as well. Part of the beauty of having a guy like that, a quote-unquote role player or a shooting specialist, is he doesn't need that many touches per game, right? He can still find a way to make an impact and fill in the gaps of what the Cavs need without hogging touches, without having plays called for himself. We understand that Donovan Mitchell 
and Jared Allen are going to be heavily involved in the offense. At least during the stretch, they're going to be heavily involved in this offense. When Darius Garland comes back and he's healthy again and he's effective again, he's going to be heavily involved in this offense. He needs shots. He needs touches. He needs opportunities. He needs space on the court to do all the things that make him such a great player. Evan Mobley, when he gets healthy again, when he's effective again, he's going to need touches. He's going to need shot attempts. Niang is the kind of guy where you don't have to call plays for him. You don't have to run sets through him. He doesn't have to be a focal point of the offense to make an impact. And having that kind of guy is really, really important for a team that has so many different high usage guys. I agree. And just to wrap up this episode, I wanted to get your take on what record you think the Cavs could have over the final six games, or if you want to narrow it down to the four-game road trip, you can do that too. Yeah, I think four-game road trip is two and two. It's tough to win in Milwaukee. Milwaukee's going to want a little bit of revenge given the way things transpired last night. Giannis more than likely is going to be in the lineup and They're a much different team with Giannis, don't you know? Who would have thought that having a perennial MVP candidate would make you a completely different team? But that's the case, right? Like, they're going to be a different team at home with Giannis than the one that we saw last night. So the Cavs are going to have their hands full to begin with. Orlando's not in a great place right now, in part because... They haven't had Franz Wagner. He's so critical to everything that they do. He can play some point forward for them. He hits big shots. He's tough. They're a different team at home than they are on the road. That's been shown over time, but they're three and seven in their last 10. And I think the Cavs can capitalize on this version of the magic, unless Franz comes back and he may come back off this injury. And like, I'm just not a believer in Atlanta. The roster construction doesn't make sense. It doesn't look like DeJounte and Trey like playing with each other. It doesn't look like Trey's teammates like him very much. There's just so many things that they're working through internally that, again, I think that's another one that the Cavs can capitalize on. So for me, I see a two and two road trip for the Cavs. And if that is the case, I think they would definitely take going 500 on this trip coming up. Yeah, and I think I said, if I remember correctly, I said for the six-game road trip, I actually gave them a floor of two and four over the next six games because they finished the month against Detroit. So I had them winning against Atlanta and Detroit, and I said that I believe their ceiling would be three and three with the wins against Atlanta, Orlando, and Detroit. They play the Bucks twice, they play the Magic, they play the Hawks, they play the Pistons, and they play the Clippers who are playing at an extremely high level. I had them losing twice to the Bucks and then against the Clippers. I mean, even three and three, I think they would take that to finish out the month. Like, look, man, for them to be as successful as they have been over the last two and a half, three weeks, without 40% of the starting lineup, without two really, really important players, it's just an unbelievable job by everybody inside this organization to get them to this point where they've been able to bank wins so that if they go through a tough stretch, and they're going to go through a tough stretch, every team in the NBA goes through tough stretches. Every team in the NBA has off nights, but they've banked so many wins during this stretch that it has given them a little bit of a buffer. We know The top six in the Eastern Conference, it is going to be a war. But there's a little bit of a buffer that they've kind of created based on the way that they've played over the last two and a half, three weeks. And they deserve all the credit in the world for that. 
All right. With all that being said, that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.